0: Welcome to the Central Christian Church Podcast. We pray this message helps you find and follow Jesus. If you would like to connect with us more, please visit us at centralsj.org. We've been in this study through uh, the book of Romans, and uh, today we land in in Romans chapter five. And Romans is such a a crucial book because the longer I, I pastor, the more I realize that people who are Christians... Uh, people who I think really love God uh, don't really understand salvation, don't really understand what salvation entails, don't understand like, like what the cross means for them, like what Jesus has done for you, the freedom that he's actually purchased for you that now you get to, to walk in. And, and so if you were to ask somebody, hey, what does it mean? What happened whenever you got saved? A lot of people would say, say I was forgiven. And, uh, and that would be a wonderful truth. That is true. Uh, but that's not all of it. There's so much more than that. And that's what Paul's unpacking for us through this this book of Romans, and we come to Romans chapter 5, it's pivotal for us to take some time in this chapter because if we don't understand what Paul's talking about in Romans chapter 5, then we're going to miss what he's going to talk about in Romans chapter 6, 7, and chapter 8. And so we've been, we've been in this book, we've been, been studying this a little bit before Christmas, so I'm just going to do a flyby catch-up of Romans chapter 5. So let's pick it up in Romans chapter 5 and verse 1. We'll have the verses on the screen if you don't have your Bible here, but here's what it says. It says, therefore, and every time we see the word therefore, what we've got to do, we gotta got to go back and see what it's there for. And so Paul's basically referencing everything that he's talked about this far. And so in Romans chapter 1, he talked about how the wrath of God is being revealed against all humanity because we've all sinned. We've got this, this, this issue that, that corrupts every human being. Not only does it corrupt every human being, but it actually taints our, our, our creation. Creation longs to be liberated, Paul's going to say later. Uh, but but it, we're in this fallen state. And so Paul talks about that. And, and he talks about how we're really in and of ourselves, we're hopeless. But then he says this, he says, but wait, there's good news. Because Jesus came and he provided a way for you to connect with God, for your life to be restored, for you to experience wholeness like you've never experienced before. And he's been talking to us recently about justification. And here's what he says, he says, therefore, since we've been delivered from wrath, therefore, since we've been justified through faith, that's the word, justified. You've been Justified. Now, we don't talk about this a whole lot in settings like this because a lot of guys like me are intimidated, intimidated by words like that. Because we're like, I don't know if, I ta- I don't know if anyone's going to understand justification. Like, that's a, that's a big word. And, and my, I've just landed at this place in my own life where I'm like, man, maybe people don't understand because we're not talking about it. And so, so here's what justification is. Here's the definition we've been working off of. Justification is the act of God whereby he forgives the unsaved person's sins. And then assigns to them the righteousness of Christ when through faith they believe. So check this out. With the moment you put your faith in Jesus, these three things happened in your life. Salvation is really experienced in in, in three parts. Uh, One is justification. That takes place the moment you put your faith in Jesus. After that, you experience salvation through sanctification. That's That's another big word, but it simply means you're striving to live life as Jesus lived if he were in your spot. So, so today, whatever you do, whoever you interact with, how would Jesus interact with them? That, that's really where Christianity comes, becomes like fun. That, that's really where Christianity, that's where you come alive. Jesus said, said hey, if, you, if you, you'll know the truth, the truth will set you free. He said, I came to give you life and life abundantly. How do we experience abundant life? I would submit to you it's in that second part of salvation experience where we strive to live as Jesus lived on a daily basis. We, we, we experience freedom there. But not only that, the third part of salvation is fully realized whenever we experience glorification. There's coming a day whenever this body of mine is going to wear out. And you're going to hear that tall dude, Tim Perkins, is gone. Don't believe it, Billy Graham said. I'll be more alive in that moment than I've ever been before. Because I'll be in a glorified place, in a glorified heaven, with a glorified Christ for a glorified eternity. It's going to be amazing. That's the hope we have. That's salvation. That's salvation. But, but here's what Paul's talking about with justification. Here's what takes place when you put your faith in Christ. He says, he says it's the act of God whereby he forgives. And here's what you would need to know, because a lot of people miss this. A lot of people believe that, man, I was so jacked up before I came to Christ. I put my faith in Christ and he forgave me. But then they're like, now I screwed up. And so now I think God's mad at me. Now I've really blown it. And I think now I'm not sure where I stand with him. That's a wrong understanding of salvation because at the moment of salvation, you've been forgiven past, present, future. Sins you haven't even committed yet are already dealt with. Like that's a truth that melts my mind. And it's, by the way, it's not like a a free-for-all, like license to live however you want. Paul's going to talk about that later. But you've been forgiven. I'm just saying, whenever you blow it, don't the enemy beat you up. Because your sin's already been dealt with. You've been forgiven. Not only that, it would be wonderful to be forgiven, but how many of you know you can, be for, you can forgive someone and not have relationship with that person? But, but here's what Jesus does. He, he not only forgives you, now he assigns to you the righteousness of Christ. So, so whenever I come to God, I'm not coming because I'm a pastor, I'm not coming because I got a title, I'm not coming because I lived such a good life, because I haven't. The only reason I can come boldly to the throne of grace is because I've been clothed in the righteousness of Christ, a righteousness not my own. I don't deserve it. I didn't earn it. It's a gift. And that's yours the moment you put your faith in Jesus. And not only that, the Bible says it's been been allotted to each person a measure of faith. He gave you faith to believe. So the moment you put your faith in Jesus, you've been forgiven, you've been assigned the righteousness of Christ, and you've been given faith to believe. That's justification. And I think that's pretty good news. Not only that, there's more. There's more. And that's the title of today's message, because as you're going to hear, there's more, there's more, there's more. There's always more in the kingdom. There's always more with Christ. Look at it. It says this, and if you're you're taking notes, this is where your your notes begin, the results of of justification. Here it is, uh, Romans 5, 1 and 2. It says this. Let's pull that verse back up. Therefore, since we've been justified by faith, so everything we just talked about, now that's yours. But there's more. Not only that, now you have peace with God. Before you had a relationship with God, the Bible says that God's wrath was on your life. Jesus said this, to the one who believes, he can experience e- eternal life, but the one who does not believe, the wrath of God remains on him, John 3. And so for people who don't believe, it's not like you're going to experience God's wrath one day. No, the wrath of God, it's, it's on your life. But, but, but here's the deal. Whenever you put your faith in Christ, now you can have peace, peace with God, the war is over. You can have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we've gained access by faith into this grace. Listen, if you got a VIP ticket to somewhere, you got access that other people just don't have. And Paul says, hey, you got access to grace. What's grace? It's God's preferential treatment. It's God's divine favor. I, I don't know, if you have kids, I'm just saying, you treat your kids differently than other kids. Why? Because it's your kid. They have preferential treatment. they got access to resources that other kids don't have access to. It's preferential treatment. It's divine favor. And that's what Paul says. Now, because you've been justified, you got peace with God, you got access to grace in which we now stand. And here's the deal. We rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. The Bible talks about the glory of God one day. Not only when the moment you get to heaven... I'm just telling you, you're going you're to say, that dude, Tim, he didn't tell me the half of the story. There was so much more. I, I, ears have not, our mouth has not articulated the half of how awesome heaven's going to be. Not only will you see God in all of his glory, but, but you, the Bible says that, that his glory will be revealed in you and revealed through you for all of eternity. Paul says it's the hope of glory. It's good news. And that's the result of justification, the result of justification, peace with God, access to grace, hope, hope of glory. So that brings us up to speed. So that's Romans chapter 5, verse 1 and 2. Now let me set the stage for what we're going to be studying today, uh, Romans 5, 3 through 5. And all of that that we just mentioned, it just demonstrates God's love for you. It demonstrates God's love for you. And as I was praying for you, as I was praying for this new year, as I've been praying through this fast... Just asking God, God, give me a word for your people. God, give me a word for your church. And I was expecting something like, yeah, that's profound. Like that's, yes. Here's what I feel like the Lord wants me to tell you. I feel like he just wants you to know he loves you. He loves you. And here's what I need you to know. It's not just that he loves the person you're sitting next to because some of us land there. We say, yeah, no doubt. He loves Keith immensely. Like Dan, wow. He, he loves Keith and Michelle more than they can imagine. He loves Rob, Ra- wow, yes. But Tim, I, I don't know. I don't know if everyone knows what Tim's done. And sometimes we stiff arm. We, we say, yeah, God loves you, but I don't know. No, listen, he loves you. He loves you more than you can imagine. Paul writes about that love, Ephesians 1 4 through 5, it says this, even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. He decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. Don't miss this. Like, before he made the world, he knew you. In his foreknowledge, he knew you. He knew everything you would ever do. You say, yeah, but does he know how bad? He knew you. Before the foundation of the world, he knew everything you would ever do. And he still said, I want her on my team. I want him in my family. I love them. I've chosen them. They're mine. Hurts, habits, hangups, and all. Like, he chose you, right? Before, Before Adam and Eve ever stepped foot on this earth, he knew you. Before he hung a star in place, he knew you. He, before he made the world, he knew you, he, he loved us and he chose us in Christ. And some people feel like, well, man, that's God's job. Like, he only loves me because he has to. No, he doesn't. Look at this. He, he takes pleasure in you. He delights in you. He delights in you. I delight in a lot of things. But, like, God delights in you takes pleasure in you. He loves you. This has been my prayer for you. Ephesians 3, 14 through 21. And and maybe my prayer for you for the whole year, for sure through these next 21 days. But here's what it says. It says, for this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom the whole family in heaven and on earth derives this name. And I pray, out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his Holy Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And here's what I pray. I pray that you, I pray for Central Christian Church that you would be rooted and established in love and may have power together with all the saints to grasp, to grasp something. That that word grasp, it means to take hold of something that you didn't have hold of before. It means to perceive something that you never saw before. It means to have a revelation of something that was not revealed to you before, to take hold of something new. And this is my prayer for you, that this year you would grasp How wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ for you. And that you would know this love that surpasses knowledge. That you may be filled to the full measure of the fullness of God. That you would know that for yourself. You'd have revelation of that. Not just for humanity. Not just for your family. Not just for your kids. Not for the person. He loves you. Settle that in your heart. And then Paul, he, he like burst into praise. But before we get there, some people think, well, well man, that, that's good. But like, I, I'm a, I've been in church for a while. Like, I'm a season. I know God loves me. Like, what you just shared is not new for me, Tim. Well, here's what I want you to think about. The church of Ephesus, it's believed that Paul's mentee was the pastor there, Timothy. You got two books in your Bible, first and second Timothy. Timothy's the pastor there. And Paul's saying, Timothy, I want you to have a greater revelation of God's love for you. It's believed that in this church in Ephesus, the apostle John was a member there. There's 12 uh, disciples. Three were in Jesus' inner circle. One was called the disciple Jesus loves. That's, the, that's John. And, and Paul's writing said, John, I know you've experienced a lot of God's love, but I pray your eyes would be opened more. That he's got m- the depth, the riches of God's love for you. It's believed that Mary, the mother of Jesus, was a member at the church of Ephesus. And Paul's saying, Mary, I know you've seen Jesus in a lot of ways none of us have, but there's more, there's more, there's more. He wants to reveal more to you. And Paul realizes just how awesome that is. He says, now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that's at work within us, to him be glory in the church and through Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever, amen. When you understand how much he loves you, it'll change everything about your life. It will change the way you perceive God's will. It will change the way you perceive your circumstances. It will change the way you perceive yourself. I pray you grasp it. I pray throughout these 21 days you would, get, you, you would grasp it. You, get a, uh, you perceive something you have not perceived before. It will embolden you. It will give you a confidence. It will encourage you and hold you through life's most difficult times. Unless you understand how much God loves you, you will struggle with justification. You'll struggle to have peace with God. You'll struggle to have, accept access into his grace. You'll struggle to say, I know that preacher said I have preferential treatment, but I'm just not sure that's true for me. No, listen, he loves you. Settle it in your heart. You'll struggle with assurance of salvation. You'll struggle, hey, am I saved? Am I really good enough? Does he know what I've done? No, listen, he loves you. Settle it in your heart. And rather, it Leads us to this place where we can just come into the presence of God and just give thanks for all He's done. To come into God's presence and say, God, I thank you that before the foundation of the world, you knew me. God, you knew my name before you hung a star in place. God, you knew my my strengths, you knew my weaknesses. You knew my victories, you knew my failures. And God, you chose me anyway. God, I thank you that you had a plan for my salvation. I thank you that you loved me so much that you sent Jesus to, to. Pay the penalty that I deserve. God, I thank you for forgiveness. I thank you that you removed my sin as far as the east is from the west. I thank you, God, that now you've given me peace with God. I thank you, God, you've clothed me in the righteousness of Christ, not righteousness not my own. God, I thank you that I have hope for today, not just hope for today, but hope to see your glory for all of eternity, to see it, to perceive it, to experience it, to not only, not only see it, but to have it revealed to me and through me. God, I just thank you yeah. because of all you've done for me. When you embrace his love, it changes everything. But how can you pray with confidence if you think God's mad at you? How can you come boldly to his throne if you're not sure where you stand with him? Listen, settle it in your heart. He loves you. God is good. He does good. He loves you. Well, if we stopped there, that would be a great sermon and probably the shortest sermon I've ever preached. (laughs) But listen let's just camp out for one more moment. That truth is the greatest truth anyone in the history of humanity has ever heard. God loves you. Settle it in your heart. If you stiff arm that, figure out why. And you got to wrestle that to the ground because it'll change. His love will change everything about you. All right, today's verse. Here it is. Romans 5, verse 3. And we'll start with the first part. The message paraphrase puts it this way. And that's not all. I was studying this week and I thought, what? There's more? Think about this. Before the creation of the world, he knew you. He had a plan for your salvation. He's forgiven all your sins, eradicated it. As far as the east is from the west, he's removed it. He's given you right standing with God. He's given you faith to believe. He's given you peace with God. He's given you access to the Father. He's given you preferential treatment on your life. God's favor now rests on your life. He's giving you a promise, not only for today, but a promise for tomorrow. And Paul says, wait a minute, that's not all. I'm like, what's not all? There's more? What more? How, how could there possibly be more? There's more. Goes on to say, ne- next part says, not only that, but we rejoice. We talked about that when we studied verse 2. Rejoice, it means to like celebrate big. It's not just like, yay, like, woohoo. No, that's like this big, audacious celebration. It could be translated boast, exalt, exude. Like, we, we're so excited, we got to talk about it. It's like the individual who maybe got, like, a Tesla for Christmas, and, like, they just can't ta- stop talking about their new car, right? Like, have you seen my new car? Like, not only am I saving the environment because now it's an electric vehicle, but not only is it faster than a Corvette, but, like, you can sit in my seat and I can make a farting noise. It's amazing, Not only that, but like my car, I'll play music and it can start doing a dance for you, like a light show and everything. It's amazing. And they just go on and on and on about what's in their possession. That's the word. You talk about it. You're excited about it. You can't help but talking about it. It's out of the overflow you talk about it. We rejoice. Not only that, but we rejoice in our suffering. Look at this next word. Not only that, but we rejoice in our suffering. I don't know how that lands with you. I was studying this week and I was like, Can we go back to peace? Can we go back to like hope of glory? Can we go back to suffering? Wow. That, That word literally means pressures, trials, challenges, anguish, difficulties. Now let's pause for a moment because you'll recognize this to be true. If you're not mature in your walk with Christ. Whenever you face trials, whenever you face suffering, what's the first thing that comes to your mind? God, where are you? God, I thought you loved me. Uh, that pastor said, I got favor on my life. The pastor said, like, you love me. like Why this? If you love me, how's this? God, if you're, if you're all powerful, how am I going through this? Why am I struggling? It could be relationship, could be a physical struggle, trial, could be financial could be a lot of things, but if we're not mature, we'll begin to question God's love in those moments. And the enemy loves it so. And if we're honest, I think we could say, hey, you know what, we've all had those questions from one time or another, but here's what Paul does. Paul points our eyes to the fact that even in trials, God is demonstrating his love for you. Even in hard times, is God revealing his love to you. God's love is certainly revealed through salvation. God's love is certainly revealed through experiencing his peace. God's love is certainly revealed through giving you the Holy Spirit to guide you through life's most difficult times, life's ups and downs. But, but Paul points to that, that, that God's love is also revealed through trials because in those moments, God is developing you in ways that the good times simply do not. Here's what Paul says, Romans 5.3. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings because we know some stuff, knowing a few things. We, we know some things about God. If you're going through a trial, this is going to be vital for you to remember this. If you're not going through a trial, you might want to write these down because 2023 will surely present a trial or two for you. Uh, my, I had a friend that said, hey, uh, you're either in a trial, you're going through a trial, or you're, you're about to go into one. And I was like, I need to find new friends. But it's true. <laughs> it's true. Um, so let's look at these five things. So Paul lays out five things that we know about God whenever we're facing trials in our life. The first thing he says, we know that suffering produces endurance. And we all acknowledge beforehand this is what we want. So buckle up. Here we go. Uh, suffering produces endurance. Romans 5:3 says this. Not only that, but we rejoice in our suffering. Why? Because we know. That suffering produces endurance. That word in the, the Greek, it's, it's hupo rome. It's a, it means like hoopo is, is above um, or to remain, uh, rome under. It's to remain under a heavy weight, it, it, to remain under a lot of pressure. It's this image of like if you, you go to the gym and like you're, you see this dude with like all these, these plates stacked on the barbell. And he's there under this heavy weight. But the, the weight's not crushing him. Rather, he just he reps out like five or six. You know, he, he, that's, that's the word. It's endurance. It's perseverance. It's to remain under a heavy weight and to grow stronger because of it. There's something about trials that strengthen us in the way that good times simply do not. There's something about going to a gym and lifting heavy weights or getting on that dreadmill and running, even whenever you don't feel like it, that will strengthen you, that will give you endurance the way that eating pizza or ice cream simply do not. And the same is true for you spiritually. That's a physical reality. The same is true in a spiritual reality. There's something about trials. It's like, it's like God's gym where he's training us. He didn't maybe create the trial, but he's using it to strengthen you. He's using it to develop perseverance in your life. Look at this. James chapter 1, verses uh, 2 through 3 says this. It says, consider it pure joy. That's the idea. Rejoice. Pure joy. Celebration. Now, now like, James is not a masochist. James not like, this trial so awesome. It's better than six flags. Woo. Like, it's not, this is Disneyland. Yay. Like, no, that's not what he's saying. He's saying, I know whenever I face trials, God's doing a work in me. He's doing a work in me. He's strengthening me in a way that good times simply do not. So he says, consider it pure joy, my brothers, when you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. That's the same word, Endurance. And here's, here's why this is important. Perseverance must finish its work that you may be mature, complete, not lacking anything. Now, if I told you, if we're sitting down for coffee, and I was like, hey, I got a friend. Mario just told me this secret. Like, like if you do this, you will be mature, complete, not lacking anything. It's a, it's, a, it's a hassle-free 30-day guarantee. Do you want to sign up? We'd be like, well, heck Yeah. I want to be mature. Like, I want to be complete. I want to come to this place in my life where I feel like I don't need anything. If you didn't know the context of this, we'd say, sign me up, right? And God says, I got a plan for that. So whenever you face trials, when you face suffering, consider it pure joy because I'm giving you what you want. I'm developing you into the man or woman that I created you to be. I'm developing you into the man or woman that actually you aspire to be. And he's using it. For your good. And Paul says, hey, when you face trials, it's not not because God doesn't love you. Matter of fact, it's a sign that He does love you. Second thing we know is that endurance produces character. Romans 5, 3 through 4 says this: not only that, I mean there's more, but we also rejoice in our suffering, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character. That that word there means to, to to be whole, like to be, it's like this image of like pure gold to be solid, to be consistent, to, to, to stand up, to be, be proven true. 1 Peter 6-7 through seven says this, In, in all this we, you greatly rejoice. There's that word again, rejoice. You'll see this littered throughout Scripture. When you face trials, when you face suffering, what do we do? But, again, deep into the pool stuff. I didn't say it was easy, but a mature perspective in spiritual life is that when you face trials, there's a level of rejoicing. So Peter says, In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have suffered all kinds of, of trials. These have come. Here's, why do we face trials? These have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, may be, which perishes, even though refined by fire, may be proven genuine. That's the idea of character. It's proven genuine. And that all. And here's what happens. Whenever you see someone with great character... Here's what the result is. It results in praise, results in glory, results in honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. You're always going to see this connection with suffering throughout the Bible. Throughout Scripture, there's joy in the midst of the trial and there's a bigger perspective in the midst of the trial. There's joy because God's developing me and there's an eternal perspective. This is going to be revealed when Jesus Christ is is revealed to you. So, Endurance. Suffering produces endurance. Endurance produces character. The third thing we know, we know that character produces hope. And this is where it gets exciting because rejoicing comes into play here. Romans 5, 3-4 through 4 says, not only that, but we rejoice in our suffering, knowing that suffering produces endurance, endurance produces character, and character produces hope. Now what is hope? Hope is simply the anticipation of what God's going to do. The anticipation of how God's going to show himself faithful once again. The anticipation in context of, of God, you, you got this one just like you had the last one. God, you saw me through that trial over there. I know you're going to see me through this trial right here. I got hope. Here's the cool thing about trials. Like like God uses trials to not only minister to you, not only to shape your character, not only develop you and me into the men and women he created us to be, but God uses trials to like draw other people to to himself. Like as other people perceive your life, as they watch you, as they see you cling to Jesus in the midst of a trial, as they see you remain faithful in the midst of suffering, they say, man, there's something about his life that's just different. What is that? And it leads to opportunities for you to tell them about the one who's sustaining your life, about the peace you're experiencing in the midst of the trial. Not only that, but he's developing you. And basically the hope is, I can't wait to see how God's going to deliver me. I can't wait to see how God's going to show up. I can't wait to see how he's going to resolve this one, just like he did the last one. I can't wait to see how God's going to take me through. I can't wait to see after all, all this, how this problem like plays out in my life, through my life for his, his glory. That's the idea. Second Corinthians Chapter 4, verse 16, Paul gets very vulnerable with his church in Corinth, and he's writing them a letter. And he says, therefore, we do not lose heart. Now, prior to this, Paul has said, he said, we despaired of life itself. Like, they're experiencing a trial that that said, man, I don't think we're going to live through this. Matter of fact, I I think I was going to die, and actually, I was okay with it. Because the suffering was so intense. He says, therefore, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we're wasting away, yet inwardly we're being renewed day by day for our, watch this, for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us a glory that far outweighs them all. Now, if you're in a trial, that sounds very harsh. Because you're like, my trial's not light, dude. Like, my trial's heavy. And like, this is not fun. But Paul, again, has given us an elevated perspective in light of eternity. Here's, what, here's some good news for you. If you're in a trial today, here's what you need to know. It's temporary. My grandma used to always tell me, this too shall pass. And it's true. In the midst of trial, I didn't want to hear it. But it was true. And oftentimes people make permanent decisions in the midst of temporary situations. But we got to remember, have a bigger perspective. It's temporary. It's momentary. And here's what's happening in that trial. It's achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. God's refining your character. He, he, he's shaping you into the man or woman that He created you to be. Later on in 2 Corinthians, Paul says this 2 Corinthians 12, 9 through 10 says, Therefore, I will boast. There's the word again. We're rejoicing. I'm boasting. I'll, I'll rejoice all the more gladly about my weakness so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight. I delight in weakness, insults, hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. I don't know about y'all, but I'm not there yet. But I see what mature faith looks like. I see that that in the midst of trials, God, you are shaping me. God, you are developing me. Therefore, Paul says, I will delight in my weakness. Now, a lot of people say, hey, you know what? What? In the midst of suffering, I think maybe it highlights that God doesn't love me. Maybe God's presence has abandoned me. But Paul turns it on his head and he says, no, because whenever I face weakness, when I face insults, when I face hardship, when I face persecution, when I face difficulty, it doesn't reveal that God's not with me. It actually reveals that he is with me and he is making me stronger. For when I'm weak, then I am strong. Your trial is not a sign of God's absence, but rather a reminder of his presence. Fourth thing we know, we know that hope produces rejoicing in God. In other words, we look forward to what God's going to do. I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about the good things in the midst of the suffering. I'm talking about the good things in the midst of the suffering. God's got good things on the other side of it. And you say, well, what if he doesn't? Like, what if he doesn't work out that way? And I would just say Impossible. Impossible. If you're a child of God, if you're walking with God, he's always working things together for your good and for his glory. It's impossible. I've never met someone that said, I trusted God, I walked in his ways, and I regret it. I've never met that person. I've met a lot of people that said, I gave up on God, I turned away, I thought it was, trial. It was too intense, I wish I wouldn't have. This permeates Paul's thinking. Look at it, Romans 5.5 5 says, And hope does not put us to shame. This concept is, is like marred into Paul's mind. He, he gets this from Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 28 and Isaiah chapter 29. Uh, the word of the Lord comes to, to the people uh, of Israel and the prophet writes this. We'll just look at it in chapter 49 for the sake of time. It says this, it says, those who hope in me will not be disappointed. Another way to say it is those who wait for me shall not be put to shame. There will never be a time in your life where you say, I trusted God, I lived according to his word, and I'm disappointed in the way things worked out. It's impossible. You say, well, I'm I'm really going through it. I don't think you understand. I would just say the story's not over. Your story's still being written. Just keep trusting God. This dominates Paul's thinking. We see it here in Romans chapter 5. Look at it again, Romans chapter 9, verse 33. And the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Chapter 10, verse 11, as scriptures say, anyone who trusts in him will never be put to shame. So we can rejoice, even in the midst of troubles, even in the midst of trials, even in the midst of suffering. Why? Because God's got a plan through it all. He's developing you. He's drawing people to himself through you. He's working things together for you're good. Now, this is the teaching of Romans chapter 8. We're not there yet, but, but here's what Romans chapter 8, verse 28 says. And we know, there's that word again, we know some things. In the midst of trials, in the midst of suffering, we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Romans chapter 8, 31. Thank you. Romans eight thirty-one. What then shall we say in response to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? Listen, settle it in your heart. God loves you. God's for you. And when you face trials, remember he still loves you. He's still for you. He still has a plan in the midst of it. Every week we close out our service with that verse. So if you're new, you're like, how'd they know that? But every week we close out our service with that verse, Romans 8, 31, if God's for us, who can be against us? Because every week, here's what I know, some of you are going to face a trial. Every week, here's what I know, the enemy wants to come and, and make you question God's love for your life. But remember, God's for you. And if he's for you, who could be against you? Romans 8, 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? And that's really the question that it comes down to. Because a lot of things that fade, right? Like your youthfulness fades. Our good looks, they fade. Our life, our health, it fades. Everything in life is temporary. But what's eternal? What's a foundation that I can actually build my life on that will sustain me? I would suggest it's your relationship with Jesus. It's Christ. And if you're building your life on anything besides that, prepare for disappointment. But here's the one thing that will never put you to shame. It's Jesus. And, And who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble should trial, should hardship, should persecution, famine? What if I run out of food? What if I can't provide for my family? What about nakedness? What if I can't, pro- I can't provide clothes? What, what, if the worst case scenario, what if I'm, someone's hunting me down? What if they're trying to kill me with a sword? Will anything separate me from the love of Christ? That's a good question. Yeah. And Paul answers with a resounding no. Romans eight thirty seven. no. In all these things, we're more than conquerors through him who loved us. Listen, even if your trial ends in death, you're more than a conqueror. He's got a plan for that. He's got provision for that. He's got a shelter for you in the midst of that. So if you tease out the issue to the worst case scenario, he's still got you. And here's what you need to know as a child of God. You're more than a conqueror through him who loved you. Oh, and all these things were more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither present nor future, nor any powers, neither heights nor depths, nor nothing else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus our Lord. And Romans 5.5, if you put your hope in that, you'll never be put to shame. Fifth and final point. We know that God pours his love into our hearts. The first four we know because God's word tells us. We know that suffering produces endurance. We know endurance produces character. We know character produces hope. We know hope produces rejoicing, celebration, exaltation of God. We know those four things because God's word word tells us. But this fifth one, he, he, God doesn't want you to just know this by deduction. He wants you to know this from your experience. That God pours his love out into your hearts. I can't, I can't teach you that. You just got to experience that. Romans 5, 5 says, but, but hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. That, that word poured Uh, Don't think of like taking a cup of water and just pouring it on the ground. The imagery here is like a geyser going off. It's like Niagara Falls in your heart. It's like this overwhelming amount being poured into your hearts. It's it's God's love in, in an excessive amount being poured into your hearts. It's a torrential downpour. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 says, if anyone's in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. How's that happen? John 3, 5 says that Jesus declared, I I tell you the truth, no one can enter the kingdom of heaven unless he's born again. Like until you have this encounter with Jesus that leaves you changed, Not not just behavior modification, but like you're a different person where people look at your life and say, I knew you before and it's like you're a different dude. You're a different gal. What happened to you? Well, let me just tell you, I've had this geyser of God's love go off in my heart. I can't explain it. I don't deserve it, but I know he's changed me. It wasn't something I could manufacture. In my lowest moment, he saw me. He loved me. He rescued me out of the Mari pit. He, He delivered me when I didn't think there was any way. And now he's, he's pouring out his love into my heart. And, and this is evident not only to yourself, but to everyone around you. Because if you got Niagara Falls dumping into your heart, it's got to go somewhere. And you say, Jesus, you've, you've taught me, so now I've got to teach others. Jesus, you saved me. You rescued me. So I'm going to be part of your mission. I'm going to help rescue others. Jesus, you serve me. So what can I do to serve other people? God, you've been so generous to me. How can I be generous to someone else? God, God, after all you've done for me, i got, I got to... You've poured your love into my heart, and i got to express it. i got to show the watching world around me what you've done for me. My question is, have you experienced that kind of love? Have you experienced the geyser of God's love going off in your heart to where it changes you? Not religion, not, not come to this. No, 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 no. Have you experienced that? God desires for you to. He wants to pour out His love into your heart. And if you haven't, today's the day you can. He's got good things for you. Listen, whatever your experience of God up to this point is, I'm just telling you there's more. More of His love, more of His power. It's revealed in the good times. It's revealed in that moment of salvation. His goodness is revealed as we're going to see in a moment and change lives through baptisms. But God's goodness, his love for you, His, his care for you is also revealed in hard times as he shapes you in the man or woman that he created you to be. So no matter what your experience with God's been up to this point, there's more. Let me pray for you.